politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. What is a woman? What makes a woman? How do you define a woman? I don't know. No, that's her answer. I don't know. They asked her, Judge Jackson, what makes a woman a woman? She could have just said, I mean, I'm a woman. Celebrate me. Celebrate the fact that I got nominated because I'm the first black woman to be nominated to the Supreme Court. So therefore, this is the definition of a woman. She could have said that. Instead, she went, oh, I don't know. Pull the Scooby. Oh, I don't know. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Good to have you with me. Busy day today. Busy day, busy day, busy day, busy day. Of course, every day seems to be a busy day these days. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz actually followed up on that point about uh, you are the only person in the history of this who is unable to define what is a woman. You told her that that you couldn't define what a woman is, uh, that you were not a biologist, which which I think you're the, the only Supreme Court nominee in history who's been unable to answer the question, what is a woman? Let me ask you as a judge, how would you determine if a plaintiff had Article Three standing uh, to challenge a gender-based rule, regulation, policy uh, without being able to determine what a woman was? So, Senator, I know that I'm a woman. I know that um, Senator Blackburn is a woman, and the woman who I um, admire most in the world is in the room today, my mother. Um, it sounded as though well, but, the but question let me, but, was... But let me ask, under the modern leftist sensibilities, if if I decide right now that, that I'm a woman, um, then apparently I'm a woman. Does that mean that I would have Article Three standing to challenge a gender-based restriction? Senator, to the extent that you are asking me about... Um, who has the ability to bring lawsuits based on gender, those kinds of issues are working their way through the courts, and I'm not able to comment on them. Yeah, but you see his point, though, which is a valid point, which is that can a man just become a woman? Can a man just say he's a woman? Hey, what, when, does that, when does that change? Because that's entirely what the left's all about. This, isn't, this is the whole thing right now, right? I can just at any moment decide that I'm actually a woman and then society has to recognize me as a woman or else you're hateful and you're bigoted. There's not even a standard to it. I mean, there's not even there's not even a, a, an application or a form you have to fill out. There's not even a surgical requirement. There's not a hormonal requirement. There's literally no requirement whatsoever. It's just you literally just say you are and then you are. That's it. There's not even a, like a like a training camp you have to go to, at least maybe a, a training camp for a couple weeks. You know, I'd have to, okay, so I go, all right, listen, I think I'm a woman. And I, they go, all right, well, you have to spend two weeks at, you know, a camp learning how to actually, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> some, something, uh, spring training, an equivalent of spring training, but no, you just say it. That's it. And this is a, so a point on that front that Senator Ted Cruz asked is, well, what if I decide to change my ethnicity? Can I do that? If, if, if I can change my gender, if I can be a woman, and then an hour later, if I decide I'm not a woman anymore, I guess I would lose Article 3 standing. Uh, 
tell me, does that same principle apply to other protected characteristics? For example, I'm, I'm an Hispanic man. Could, could I decide I was an Asian man? Would, would I have the ability to be an Asian man and challenge Harvard's discrimination because I made that decision? Senator, I'm not able to answer your question. You're asking me about hypotheticals and... Um well, I'm asking you how you would assess standing if I if I came in and said I have decided I identify as an Asian man. Yeah, this is the problem with Judge Jackson. She she can't answer anything. She doesn't answer a lot of things. There are a lot of things that she's asked. Like today, she was asked, you know, at 20 weeks, does a baby feel pain? She said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Senator Mike Lee on the uh, mild sentencing below the federal sentencing guidelines on. Child pornography. Now, again, I, I have said in and of itself that should not just be a disqualification because sentencing guidelines are guidelines. Uh, and the legislative branch is not the court and the court is not the legislative branch. So the Congress is free to, to offer judges their ideas and judges are free then to go around the guidelines because they are not mandatory minimums. They're, they're guidelines. And mandatory minimums, quite frankly, have lots of problems from a civil liberties perspective. So in and of itself, it's not a disqualifier if the justification of the reasoning are there. The problem, though, is that in a lot of these cases, what Judge Jackson is offering as her defense for those sentences is, I mean, quite frankly, well, I'll give you an example. This is what Mike Lee said. Hawkins, as I recall, and as, as Senator Hawley discussed yesterday, he specifically asked for images of 11 to 17-year-olds. So I, I, I don't understand how that can be a, an instance where that shouldn't matter. And where the, the, the fact that he did it with the computer hardly atones for what he was doing, hardly offsets the fact that he was seeking and obtained prepubescent child pornography images nor does the fact that the, the images become easier over time to transmit and receive and store because of computers. I actually think it cuts in precisely the opposite direction that you described. It makes it more severe, not less. I see this as an aggravating factor, and that, that is of great concern to me. Mike Lee is obviously one of my favorite senators because he's one of the smartest guys when it comes to the Constitution and one of the most, um, uh, I'd say, faithful senators to the United States Constitution. Yeah, he puts it first above his own career, which is nice because that's the job anyway. That's supposed to be the job. So again, the the point here with the judge and, and everything, and again, she she answered again about not being a biologist today. This was the other thing too, that she's not a biologist. As she keeps going back to this point, I'm not a biologist. What she said about the woman thing too, when asked about what defines a female and she said, I'm not a biologist, she said the same thing today in this exchange. No one suggests that a 20-week-old fetus can live independently outside the mother's womb. Do they? I, I don't know. I mean, you need, the child will need to be fed or sheltered and all the other essentials to sustain human life. Um, so there's no suggestion that after 20 weeks that a child can be, live independently, correct? Senator, I'm I'm not a biologist. I haven't studied this. I don't know. Um, you don't know what, whether a, an unborn child could live outside the womb at 20 weeks gestation? What I know is that the Supreme Court has um, tests and standards that it's applied 
when it evaluates regulation of the right of a woman to terminate their pregnancy. Um, they have a, a the court has announced um, that there is a right to terminate uh, up to the point of viability subject to the framework in Roe and Casey, and there's a pending case right now that right. is addressing these issues. It, it, it's interesting that we we know where she's going on this. I mean, obviously, which is an adherence to Roe and this idea that uh, what the Supreme Court decided as the as the test for the three trimesters is what stands. There's no, there's no doubt about that. That's where she's going on this. But I guess the other question that I have then is, is she willing to then cede maybe to the biologist if they determine that, say, a baby is capable of living outside the womb after 20 weeks? For example, I mean, science is changing a lot. Technology is changing a lot. So if you have the ability at, say, CHOP, for example, to be able to keep a baby alive outside of the mother for 20, can you say mother? I don't know. Outside of the mother for 20 weeks and you can then give it life, then does that change the parameters of Roe v. Wade? Does, does that change things? I guess that's really the question, right? She's not a biologist, but the people that wrote that decision are not biologists. They were judges. Or justices. So can you, in fact, then say that that would be something that you would then defer to science and you would you would you would leave that to biologists to make that ruling through Congress and not the court? Because then if that's if that's what you think, then Roe has to be overturned. It has to be overturned because it was based on the science of the 1970s and that science has changed a lot. Duh. So if the party of science wants to be adherent to science, then they have to acknowledge that that was a flawed ruling because it was written by people that are not biologists based on the science of the 1970s. And that's not what we deal with today. Right. So, I mean, there's your basis for overturning Roe right there. None of them are biologists. They're judges. They're people in black robes. They are they are the men in black. I would say men and women in black. But I don't know how to define a woman. So I don't know, you know. But obviously Men in Black is Mark Levin's book from 2005, I think it was. So knowing that, then there's your basis to overturn Roe. Right there, you got it. Boom, boom. None of us are biologists in this room. We are not capable then of deciding on the idea of when life begins. We don't have the capacity to do that. And also, too, we have no idea between trimesters. None of us are doctors. None of us are biologists. So we are going to turn this to the legislative branch. Herefore, Roe is overturned and, you know, go have fun in your various legislatures figuring this out. This is not in the Constitution. That would be something. Here's Mitch McConnell today going on about how Senator Jackson gave a very weak answer on court packing. Now, I think court packing is one of the more consequential issues that we conservatives and libertarians have to be very concerned about because the left loves this idea of a mini legislature. You know, the whole idea that their ideas are not popular. They can't get them through Congress. So what they do is enter, they turn around, they say, okay, we're going to have, uh, we're going to create a mini, mini Congress here vis-a-vis the court. And this will be where we go to, uh, to pass all of our unpopular things that we just don't have public will for. Because we'll get a bunch of people who are appointed for life and they can handle it and they don't have to worry about losing their jobs. So it doesn't matter if what they're doing is, is unpopular. They just have to do what we want them to do. That's the whole point about court packing. And maybe you put 15 judges on there 
And then you just need a majority of judges, and that's a whole lot easier to get. The more numbers you have, the easier it is to get a majority. And then, boom, there you go. Roosevelt tried this once before. So here's McConnell. On Monday, I explained that the thinness of Judge Jackson's appellate record makes this week's Judiciary Committee hearings all the more important. Well, we're two days in. Judge Jackson is receiving a calm, respectful process, unlike the treatment that Senate Democrats typically inflict on Republican president's nominees. But unfortunately, thus far, many of Judge Jackson's responses have been evasive and unclear. She's declined to address critically important questions and ameliorate real concerns. First and foremost is a simple question of court packing. The far-left fringe groups that promoted Judge Jackson for this vacancy want Democrats to destroy the court's legitimacy through partisan court packing or unconstitutional term limits. She was literally the court packer's pick for the seat. And she has repeatedly refused to reject their position. Both the liberal legal giants, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Breyer, had no problem, no problem, defending the court and denouncing court packing. And obviously, Justice Jackson did not denounce court packing. That's the problem. She gave a very, very mealy mouth answer on it when she said she really didn't have an opinion on it. She she didn't really know. I mean, on the plus side, she did say that she would say that this is something that Congress has to deal with, which is good. But on that point, you know, now here's the other thing, too. Uh, when you question now the sentencing for people that had child pornography and you go below the sentencing guidelines, it's a legitimate line of inquiry to ask those questions. Of course it is for a couple of reasons. Number one, you have to assess the first part of this, which is, is this judge purposely going outside the will of the legislature? So again, I have long said that I'm not a fan of mandatory minimums because I think that they tie the hands of judges and judges are not legislators. Legislators are not judges. That said, there is a spirit of the law, obviously with this stuff. And if you're going to be a judge who's adherent to the law and adherent to the legislative branch, then you, 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 you should then explain why you're going outside of the guidelines. I think that's fair. I think that that makes sense. I think that's, that says to everybody, I respect what you do, legislative branch of government. You respect what I do, judiciary. But I'm going to, I'm going to say that I don't agree with these mandatory minimums or I don't agree with these sentencing guidelines. Uh, but I, I'm not doing it because I'm spitting in the eye of the legislative branch and the intent based on the will of the people and your elected representatives. I just feel in this case and blah, blah, blah. I think that that's appropriate to ask. Here's what the left has done, though. They've decided that if anybody asks about this, it's because you're QAnon and you're feeding giant conspiracy theories now about child pornography and pedophiles and predators and everything else. And that's what this is about. So actually what Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and the other senators are doing, Mike Lee, by questioning the sentencing of child people that had child pornography in their presence on multiple occasions and every single time when she went below the sentencing guidelines, that when these senators are asking these questions, what they're actually doing is they're just giving wink-winks to QAnon, all right? 
Wink winks to QAnon. QAnon, of course, believes that there is a syndicate of pedophiles out there in the world and that they have to be stopped, among other things that they believe. I'm not a member, but that's what I've heard. Anyway, this is uh, Dick Durbin, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Take a listen. Incidentally, yesterday, your nomination turned out to be a testing ground for conspiracy theories and culture war theories. Uh, The more bizarre the charges against you and your family, the more I understand the social media scoreboard lit up yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry that we have to go through this. These are not theories that are in the mainstream of America, but they have been presented here as such. Finally, you are a respected, successful woman of color. Woman? Woman? How does he know? How does how's he able to define it? That's interesting. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli podcast. Indeed it is. Let me give you some other uh, things to think about. What happened to Hunter Biden's laptop being Russian disinformation? Remember the time it was Russian disinformation and nobody should believe it? Right. You remember that time that was uh, that was October of 2020, right before the election. It was disinformation. It was clearly a Russian plant. It was clearly propaganda, blah, 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 blah. Well, now NBC News, among other mainstream media outlets, talking about the laptop, talking about the emails and in an absolute sense of irony, just completely not mentioning the fact that they once called this whole thing BS. Biden secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, These emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. There you go. Media Research Center Newsbusters putting that little montage, that side-by-side comparison together, and I think that's fantastic. I really do. It's great. Uh, So here is uh, a little bit of what they talked about on Fox News. Remember now, if you're you're questioning Judge Ketanji Brown, it's because you're racist or you're sexist, although we don't know. Maybe it's just because you're a racist-sexist combo platter. So on Outnumbered today on Fox News, Kaylee McEnany highlighted the Media Research Center and Tim Graham how they talked about how Clarence Thomas did not get the Katanji media puffery. And nobody said it was racist when they went after Clarence Thomas. Take a listen. As soon as it loads, which will be any second now. Do, 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 do. You know, the freaking internet today. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the rain or something like that. It could be the rain. And now my kids are home in the rain. This is a nice thing I do in the afternoon podcast, though. Because the kids are home and I feel like, well, I got to go do that podcast. <laughs> you know, it's my job and all. I got to go do a podcast. So uh, I'm just going to sneak out the door over here. Well, let me begin with this. This is Joy Reid having a meltdown over the racist senators questioning Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And by the way, they still think Ibram Kendi is a critical race theorist. I've asked him. <laughs> He's not. They don't know what critical race theory is. They're not smart enough. Supposedly, Ted Cruz went to law school. Apparently, only 
Kataji Brown Jackson was in class and he was probably skipping classes and sleeping <laughs> because he doesn't know what critical race theory is. Let, let me tell you what, what, what Joy Reid's doing here. And you've probably experienced this yourself. Notice the classic thing that the left does when they disagree with somebody is they in, immediately insult your intelligence. You notice that? This happens all the time on social media. Actually, for a couple of years, it, it was fun for me to, to battle with people on Twitter. You, you notice I, I, re- I rarely do it now. I, I rarely do. Uh, I used to enjoy it. But inevitably, within the first tweet or two in the in the in the Twitter war, I would be called dumb. I was an idiot. I didn't read. I don't read. If I only read, if I only could think, blah blah blah. It was always about the same thing as insulting my intelligence. The left does this constantly, and you've probably experienced this yourself. If you've argued with somebody on Facebook or Twitter, and I I tell you, don't do it. Just don't do it. You don't need to do this. You're better than this. You have a life. What are you doing? You're not going to win these people over. You're just not. You're never going to change their mind. You're never going to change their thinking. And it's not because uh, I'm saying I'm, I'm employing the tactic of the left and saying that they're idiots. I'm just simply saying that they're idiots. No, they don't use logic to form the basis of their arguments. They use emotion. And it's very difficult to argue with people like that. They might be smart, but they're just using emotion and not logic. So good luck trying to change somebody's mind when that's what they do. But what Joy Reid just did here is so classic of that. They're not smart enough. They didn't study enough. They didn't go to class enough. They didn't read enough. It's always that. It's always that insulting of your intelligence to make you feel like an idiot. And again, that's because when you don't have the ability to argue with somebody using logic, you go to the emotion and then the emotion is, well, you're just a dummy. You, it, it's, it's childish is what it is. It really is. But what? It, how do children govern their entire day by emotion. I mean, right? I mean, you know, kids on the schoolyard, they fight, it's based on emotion. You're mean, you're ugly, you're fat, blah, 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 right? It's the same thing. The left calls us names and they mock and belittle. We're, we're hillbillies, we're rednecks, we're dumb, we're idiots, we're, we're a bunch of pickup tri- truck drivers and, you know, gun-toting, Bible-toting rednecks. I mean, it's, it's always about putting us down and mocking us, but particularly beginning with intelligence. Ibram X. Kendi is not a critical race theorist, and everyone who says he is is an idiot or a liar. I have to say, and I'll I'll end with this, um, and I guess I'll throw it to you, Harry. What bothered me about watching this today was men, and I'm going to specifically say Josh Hawley, who had nothing to say and fully supported Brett Kavanaugh. They're claiming that they are the defenders of the integrity of childhood. They're going to go after child pornography and rape, and they're going to defend, you know, the integrity of childhood. Brett Kavanaugh was accused credibly of rape, and the victims were teenage girls and college students, high school and college students. So Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and all the rest of you, Mike Lee, all of you, and Tom Thuggish Cotton, you didn't defend the teenage victims of the man you gleefully put in a lifetime position on the Supreme Court. You don't get to say anything about Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. She bested you intellectually and you're mad about it. Stay mad. See, she bested you intellectually. It's what, it's what they do. They do this. This is this is their their here's here's I'll give you another one too. Uh, Don Lemon, Don Lemon. Let's let's hear what the what Lemon said here. Take a listen. Asking um, the potential jurist um, the definition of a woman and talking about critical race theory. It is the new become the new buzz term like Acorn did or Antifa and on and on and on. 
It's really, it's, it's amazing to watch someone who is a, quite frankly, an intellectual giant be questioned by people who have really no idea about the law and what judges actually do, Laura. Well, you know, it reminds me, and I can't remember who said it, but it was a, a paraphrase of, to my equals, I debate, to all others, I teach. I think she is teaching. See, there it is. They're just idiots for questioning her. They're idiots. Now, they're lawyers themselves, most of them. But they're idiots who skipped law school that day and blah, blah, blah. Here is uh, a little bit of uh, our, our, our friends on Fox News talking about what the Media Research Center had said about the treatment of Clarence Thomas. Okay, this thing just doesn't want to work. All right, the heck with it. I'll just tell you what they said. Why, why don't I just do that? I'll just tell you what they... <laughs> why don't you just tell me what time the movie is? Uh, on July 1st, 1991, when President Bush nominated Clarence Thomas, the networks were horrified. He was so conservative... So therefore, he wasn't black. On ABC's World News Tonight, reporter Tim O'Brien said that a prominent black legal scholar called Thomas's nomination to the Supreme Court insulting. It was Harvard's Derek Bell, the architect of critical race theory, who angrily claimed, quote, to place a person who looks black and in conservative terms thinks white is an insult. Got it? Now, let's contrast that with the Associated Press. The Associated Press from Katanji Brown... Uh, Jackson was nominated. They said, for black girls, the possibility of Fatanji Brown Jackson being the first black woman on the Supreme Court is a moment of promise, hope, and the breaking of yet another barrier. Also, how do you define a woman? No, I'm adding that part. I'm just actually asking that question on the other other side of it. On NBC Nightly News back then, Jim Mizzicalesculi probably not saying that right, forwarded uh, liberals who said, quote, Thomas tried to dismantle affirmative action and then found Representative John Lewis to say, they found Representative John Lewis to come out and say, quote, but simply because he's a black man doesn't make him right or make him good for the United States Supreme Court. Wow. Thank God Joy Reid wasn't around back then to defend him, am I right? The NBC reporter concluded with opposition to the nomination from within the minority community itself. It's hard to see just how this could help George Bush politically. <laughs> now, of course, NBC is suggesting that anyone who opposes Jackson is a racist and that this will help Joe Biden politically among black voters. Black opinion writers are even more appalled with the Thomas Pick. Barbara Reynolds of USA Today proclaimed, quote, if you go black who once was a member of the KKK, could become a distinguished liberal justice, there is hope that a Negro can turn black. Imagine if I said something like that. Columnist Carl Rowan punched low. Quote, if you gave Clarence Thomas a little flower on his face, you'd think you had David Duke talking. Then two days before the Thomas hearings in September of 1991, NBC's Sunday Today promised to provide the pros and cons of Thomas. But their pro-Thomas argument consisted of one question in a profile of black conservative Representative Gary Franks of Connecticut, where anchor Garrick Utley found hypocrisy. Like Thomas, Utley said Franks went to Yale under an affirmative action program, yet today he battles the Democratic Civil Rights Bill in Congress. So... They used the person to then stand there and justify Thomas. They trashed him to then, of course, then trash his argument justifying Clarence Thomas. It's a classic little media game there. NBC aired a nasty anti-Thomas commentary by black reporter Bob Herbert. Who is this guy, Clarence Thomas, and why should we want him on the Supreme Court? I can't think of any good reasons. The man is not distinguished, and he doesn't seem to have a heart. 
Then he called Thomas a tool of the rich and powerful, backed by Dan Quayle, Jesse Helms, and Strom Thurmond. Even David Duke, former KKK leader, is crazy about Clarence Thomas. I don't, I don't think that that's true. By the way, I don't, I don't think that that's a, a, that's an accurate uh, statement. But then again, I don't, I don't speak to David Duke. Uh, I've denounced him. You, know, you have to denounce him, right? You remember that from the, the election? Anyway, this guy continued. Make no mistake, old people, poor people, black people, women, forget about it. Clarence Thomas is not your friend. Dogs, cats, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Old people, poor people, black people, women, forget. How do you define a woman, though? I'm just saying. Barbara Reynolds attacked Thomas again in September. Here's a man who's going to decide crucial issues for the country, and he has already said no to blacks. He's already said if he can't paint himself white, he'll think white and marry a white woman. (laughs) No liberal journalist will employ phrases like saying no to blacks or painting himself white to describe Katanji Brown Jackson marrying a white man, of course. Nor should they, because that'd be a horrible thing to say. All this came before Anita Hill smears of uh, October. Journalists tout uh, the lived experience of the court, but of course savagely attack minorities like Justice Clarence Thomas. It's, it's funny, only in the sense of just how freaking over-the-top and racist these things are, with what, the, what they said about him, right? I mean, how racist is that? It's like the most vile racist things from the press about Clarence Thomas. And yet we're all supposed to act like they never said those things. And, and to Ted points earlier, Ted Cruz's earlier point about, uh, can I just, I'm a Hispanic man, can I just say I'm an Asian man? Why didn't, if Clarence Thomas hated being black so much, why, and to this day, why doesn't he just announce that he's white? And would the left cheer that? Would they love him then if he just came out and identified as a white person, just said, well, I'm a white person. Would they would they embrace him then? I'm I'm asking the question because I just need to know how this works. I can't follow the rules and I get very confused and tired trying to follow the rules. You know what I mean? And you probably feel the same way. Like, it's just very exhausting sometimes to be able to follow the rules. And you wish you wish that somebody would just make it easier for you. Right. Why wouldn't it just, you know, just make it easy for me? Give me a shortcut. Give me a handbook. I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Here's another time that Dr. Uh, that uh, Judge Jackson. Oh, no, I already played you that one about the abortion. I'm not a biologist. I can't can't say. I'm not a biologist. What can you say exactly? That's what I want to know. What can you say? But then again, nothing surprises me about this, the vile stuff that comes out of the media these days. Here's ABC, what Republicans run the risk of when it comes to their questioning of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Take a listen. Brittany, when you see this kind of exchange of a lot of interruptions, and especially given that Brown did keep her composure, she didn't really lose her cool, could this kind of a strategy backfire for Graham or anybody else who tries to be a bit more forceful and tries to do a lot of interrupting like we just saw? Well, there are certainly Democrats who are taking to Twitter who believe that Lindsey Graham is trying to poke the bear and get under Katanji Brown-Jackson's skin. Like Devin said, this is not the Katanji Brown-Jackson we saw on Monday and Tuesday. This is one who's willing to fight back, push back on inaccuracies. But you, know, you see she's getting flustered. She's sighing. She's making faces. Clearly, 
this provocation is getting under her skin. And Republicans run the risk of getting stereotyped as someone who's trying to further a narrative of the angry black woman. We heard this when Republicans are trying to write now Vice President Kamala Harris or... Stacey Abrams as unwieldy, as someone unable to answer questions during debates or unable to pin down reporter questions. And Democrats are already angry. They're already sharpening their knives. They're already taking to Twitter saying that Lindsey Graham is being inappropriate in his questioning. And whether um, intentional or not, he is painting this narrative and might be building to a narrative to try to get under Ketanji Brown Jackson's skin. So there is a made-for-TV moment, something like in the Kavanaugh hearing where they're screaming or crying, or at least for Ketanji Brown Jackson making a face to say, I can't handle this anymore. That's something the Republicans are looking for for their made-to-TV moment. And like I said earlier, runs the risk of being painted as like playing towards racist tropes, which the Republicans do not want to get their hands stuck in that cookie jar. What the hell is she talking about here? The angry black woman stereotype? I mean, how, how are people on ABC News allowed to get away with that crap? Honestly, how are they allowed to get away with this stuff? If I, if I said something like that, I'd be out of a job. This is what I mean. I would be out of a job. You get it? They're poking her to try to make her angry because they all think it's the angry black woman and they want to run with that. And, uh, you know, because they're all conspiring at their Klan meetings to make her upset and everything like that. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's beyond comprehension how they're able to get away with this stuff, truly. I mean, it really is just amazing to me. But, hey, that's how it works. It's a different world, right? That's how it works for them. It's just how things work. Here's Bernie Sanders today decrying the price of uh, oil again. Here we go. While the price of gas has soared is now 4.25 a gallon on average, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, BP and Shell made nearly 30 billion dollars in profit last quarter alone. That's but good for my 401k. Quarter. Good. Meanwhile, big yep. oil CEOs are on track to spend $88 billion this year not uh, on ties, to produce just oil, uh, on their clothes. not to address the crisis of climate, but to buy back their own stock and hand out dividends to enrich their wealthy stockholders. Like Oprah, it'll be you get a dividend and you get a dividend and you get a dividend from these greedy oil bastards. Speaking of which, has anyone charged my EV? Because I have to get back to Vermont tonight and heat my house with hamsters running around in a cage to generate electricity. At which I'll pay the greedy, greedy municipal power company. He's sounding more and more like a Batman villain, isn't he? That he wants to destroy oil and he's a we and our people are going to seize this rig. Commissioner Gordon, if you want this power grid open, you'll give us $88 billion in dividends. I would think that that's probably a little bit of an approach here. Let me leave you on this note today because I got to go and I'm sure you got to go too. It's getting a little bit late. Here is a once funny, once libertarian, woke Howard Stern decrying the end of mask mandates. How dare possibly now the crazies have won. The crazies are winning. How could anybody possibly think it's okay now to go without a mask? How could anybody think this was okay? Until you start focusing on them. Yeah, there's so many wacko.
I miss the old Republican Party. It used to be nice to have a two-party system. It's uh, Now it's wackos versus, um, you know, Democrats. The wacko party. And still to this day, and I hate to say it, only 65% of Americans are fully vaccinated, and I can't help but think the wackos are winning. Got it? It's the wacko party versus Democrats. Woke Howard Stern. Clearly you know which camp he's in, right? The guy who was once the the host to the working man. Woke Howard Stern. Have a great rest of your day today. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it very, very much. I'm sure there'll be more chaos tomorrow morning. The wacko party versus the Democrats. Totally right up the middle, right? Right up the middle.